All right, if you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. Remind the assembly here of the format that uh, our question box is in the back. It's that black cover and multicolored bottom, and it is available to anybody who has questions that perhaps something is set up here or in their own reading. Um, Maybe you already know the answer, but it would be good um, to put it in there so it can be uh, shared with the whole assembly here. But to remind the uh, assembly of the format is that I will go over the question, and you could be thinking about it, First John 3, 9, but, um, and then we'll open up for a little bit of discussion, our comments from the brethren, and then that will be it. There's just one question, and the question is only two words, but... It is a very uh, deep and um, fundamental, you would say, uh, truth of the gospel that which we believe. And this is what it's uh, the question reads this is explain first John three nine. That might be three words and a number or something. But um, explain first John three nine. And so we'll just read it and then we'll uh, we'll make some comment here. No one I'm reading from the New American Standard. No one who is born of God practices sin. Now, that's where some of yours might say something different. Does not sin. Practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. And so, we'll we'll answer the question um, without getting into perhaps maybe what uh, some further questions about this. But explain it. Now, anytime that you come across something uh, as far as like where this verse fits in, because there's a lot of things that have come out of this verse and people have based doctrines on, and, and because it's taken out of context and, the re, uh, context and they're reading it at face value and, and making assumptions, it's best to look at the verse in its context. And to and to establish what exactly the writer is trying to to say. So to do that, we'd have to look at the verses before, and let's just look at a couple of them here and just make some uh, and highlight some statements here. In verse three, it says, "Anyone, everyone who has his hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure." So the first thing that we see is God is pure, right? Verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You can understand how God would look down in Genesis chapter 7 and would look at him and it grieved his heart to see man, his creation, sinning. Lawlessness, that's something that he is not. He is pure. Sin is lawlessness. 5, and you know that he has appeared in order to take away sins. For in him there is no sin. Something that God cannot do. We don't like to talk about things that we can't do, right? Because it makes us look bad or perhaps whatever. But well, here's something God cannot do, but it's a glory to Him. He cannot sin, right? In Him is no sin. Verse 6, um, No one who abides in Him sins, and no one who sins has seen Him or know Him. 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as He is righteous. Another thing, He is righteous. He is pure. These these are attributes. These are uh, things that God is. Divine attributes. Verse 8, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose, that He might destroy the works of the devil. And so that's the seed promised in Genesis that would crush Satan and his, uh, crush, uh, crush Satan and undo and, and, and redeem man back to himself. God would redeem man back to himself. He has appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Um, and we see another statement. The one who practices sin is of the devil. So we have two parties here. This is what we want to establish. The one who is of God, if God is pure and God is, is um, and God is righteous, the, the one who is born of that... And this is the this is the language here that is born again seed that means born after or you know we we uh, we quote this verse every Sunday right no uh, truly truly I say unto you except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God and so the 
the press, uh, the requirement to see the kingdom of God. You just can't show up to the gate and say, let me in. Or God can't just let you in. You must be born again. You can't even see it without being born again, for one thing, because it's something spiritual, right? And so, uh, it's some word, it's not beyond the physical plane. Right? So, we got to think in these terms when we come to this, come to this verse. So, he's separating the two. One is of God, pure, righteous. The other one is of the devil, practices on, uh, Sin. Sin is lawlessness. So you have these two parties. Uh, this morning we looked in, in, in Ephesians. It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That was what we are apart from Christ. Right? We read that in, in Ephesians 2. But those who have been, and this is um, the verbiage here, and I, no one who is born of God practices sin. That's the truth. That you have been born of a seed that is imperishable. You have got your God's offspring. He has He has made you to be born again. He has fitted you to be worthy enough to come into His kingdom. And how has He done that? Where there was an exchange, right? The Son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil, but also He has given you His righteousness. He has made you. Uh, he has given um, provided the requirement for you to be born again. Peter also says this, and. And I quoted it a little bit, but in First Peter says this: "It says, for you have been born again, not of seed that is imperishable, that is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding Word of God." And so, um, born again—that's the term. And so, no one who is born again, uh, born of God, practices sin. It, it is an impossibility. We got to keep that in our mind. It's an impossibility for that part to sin, and. And maybe you're thinking, well, well, then why is it that I sin? Why is it that a believer, I feel and I struggle with it? Well, he's not advocating that a person who is born again will never cease to sin while he's here on earth. right? Because that's what chapter 1 is all about, right? The fellowship. And it says, if you say we are without sin, you deceive yourself. The truth is not in you, right? And he has, uh, God has provided uh, ways to reestablish fellowship. But the one who abides... In Him does not sin, right? That is the victory that we can have right now in this life over sin. But that seed that we have been born again with is perfect. Uh, Peter also says this in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this phrase that we are partakers of the divine nature. It is not that we become God and have that attributes, that omnipresent, all-knowing, but His, the morality, the righteousness has been given to us. Right, I mean that that is the requirement, right? How can we see the kingdom? Of God? Was was the Lord Jesus telling him something that wasn't true? Nicodemus on that day? No, you have to be born again. It's not. It's, it has to be something beyond the works of the law, the works of the uh, the things that I can do. Perfection, because His seed abides in Him. That's God. God's seed abides in us. If you're truly a, a believer, He cannot sin because He is born of God, and so. I hope it wasn't too confusing as I go through this. There's, there's obviously a lot more, and 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 I think maybe it'd be directed. Well, what is the struggle with sin? And I briefly mentioned that, and that's a um, another topic. But to know that what right now that you have been set free, a believer has been set free from the bondage of sin, and the difference between a true believer and a non-believer is that the non-believer is expected to sin. Because they're under the power, they're still under. They're a child of the. Um, they're they're of the devil. They practice sin. That's what verse eight says. Um, but yet, the one who is born of God, that divine, uh, that seed is 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 perfect. Um, it cannot sin, just as he can't sin. It's not something that is subpar. It's it's him, and so. Um, it is a it is a uh, it is a um, wonderful truth to to realize these things. But yet, while we're still in the flesh, and, and Romans talks about this in seven, is that we have this radar for sin, right? And it's always looking for opportunities to to go out. But it's it's not something that is habitually practiced. It is not something to be ex expected of the believer. And quite frankly, if one is, you know, there's no um, there's no reaction to sin. There's there's a continuing practice. You wonder sometimes if somebody is born again because of these uh, of these truths. So uh, that's all that I have on that. But if there's any comment, we'll open up to the brethren on that.
All right. I guess we'll turn the rest of the meeting over to you. All right. Thank you, Brian. And again, we want to encourage everyone to keep the question box coming. It helps all of us. Okay, we're just going to continue in the will of the Lord with what we started this morning. And we're looking at an overview of the book of the Revelation. And we'll do the tag team thing as we did this morning. Brother Aaron will take up with a more detailed look when we get to that point. We reminded ourselves of the threefold key. Let's just read that verse, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. This is the risen Lord speaking to John. Write the things that which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That seems to be a good way to divide the book. Uh, I am not advancing here. Let's do that that way. Yeah, there's the threefold uh, outline: the things which you have seen in the past. That's the uh, the glory of Christ. The things which are the present, chapter two and verse three, and the things which shall be hereafter, chapter four through twenty-two. Before I go any further, I'm sorry, my mind gets a little mixed up. Let me just make a few announcements. Uh, or uh, David made some. I just want to elaborate on some of them. Uh, first of all, Wednesday night in the will of the Lord, uh, Daniel Webster, as he said, will be with us. But Daniel Webster uh, uh, has a presentation. Evidently, he was in uh, the land of Israel, has a, uh, several pictures, and will relate the uh, what he has seen and with the Word of God and so forth. It should be very interesting and beneficial. And then uh, Thursday at the uh, Jason Escalona's, that's not just the young brethren. We found out this afternoon, sorry, that it's the young ladies as well because they would have opportunity to present the Word of God to Sunday school and so forth and, and ladies' meetings. So the young sisters are invited too for that. Uh, Saturday at the Skelton Home, fine young family, uh, three young children, four, I think four and under, uh, and they are working with a particular uh, aviation group to uh, be trained to go out to help in, with new tribes missions. So that will be at the Skelton Home, 5.30 uh, p.m. Uh, on Saturday. And then one last thing we, we, we would need some help for. We, a dear sister, Penny, I don't know the, that I can pronounce the last name, Defoe, Defoe. Uh, she's in the Missionary Prayer Handbook. She's been out in, in Ireland for many years. She'll be in the area. Uh, and so, uh, just for a few days, but uh, one of the sisters from up uh, Orlando area called to arrange perhaps a ladies' meeting Monday night, the 14th. That's a week from tomorrow night. So perhaps here, the location's yet undetermined. But just keep that in mind if there's any suggestions why she will have a lot to offer. I think she has a presentation on her work in uh, Ireland. That's uh, Penny DeFowl. And actually, uh, Tim Hood was, knows her very well. He'll be with us this coming week. And uh, he, I'm sure, will have something to say uh, and encourage us to, to hear, all the ladies, that is, to hear what she has to offer. Okay, so the, the threefold key for uh, unlocking the book of the Revelation. We reminded ourselves that... Uh, go ahead and hit the, uh, the next three. The... Uh, the grace of Christ, the glory of Christ seen in chapter 1, the grace of Christ, and hit the last one too, the grace of Christ seen in chapter 2 and 3, and the government of Christ seen in chapter 4 through 22. Now we're going to elaborate on this a little bit. I think, is there one more after that or no? Because if we go to the next one, that's fine. Go ahead to the next uh, slide. This is not working for some reason. Anyway, Revelation is apocalypse. Just if you can, advance it. Revelation uh, comes from a Greek word we, we looked at this morning, apocalypsis. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it comes uh, equates to our English word apocalypse or unveiling or revealing. And that's exactly what the uh, book of the Revelation is, an unveiling of the person of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the uh, purposes and the plan of the Lord Jesus. And uh, it is nothing but apocalypse. Can you bring up that next slide? Because that's where we'll hang for a few minutes. 
that one right there. There we go. It's nothing from Apocalypse from beginning to end. Now, again, we keep in mind that Apocalypse is unveiling. In chapter uh, 1 through 3, uh, the apocalypse, apocalypse of Christ and His relation to the earthly churches and His judgment of them. So just briefly, we looked at this morning the fact that where is the Lord now? Amongst, besides the fact that He's there in the glory now to appear in the presence of God for us, He is walking amid the testimonies, the candlesticks, the, the uh, lampstands, and the churches uh, that, that uh, the Lord holds in His hand. They are the lampstands, and He's walking in the midst, right? Thus, chapter 2, verse 1, These things saith He that holdeth the seven stars in His right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So chapter 2 and verse 3, we see the unveiling or the revelation of Christ and His relation to the earthly churches. He is walking amidst. You know, it's amazing that we, every church is autonomous, yes, and we are responsible to the Lord for what we see in the Word of God. And what we see in, in, as He's walking amidst these seven churches is, is He has a problem here. He has a commendation here. We want to, every, every local church wants to be able to answer to the Lord for what we do. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why aren't you like the church down the street? And so forth and so on. Well, we have the Word of God and we want to answer to the risen head, the Lord Jesus, for what we do, why we do, because He's given us a blueprint in His Word. And so, uh, we want to be careful what we teach. We want to be careful who comes into the assembly and so forth. There's many things that can be gleaned here as the unveiling, the apocalypse of Christ and His relation to the earthly churches. Now, we can spend many weeks on, on chapter 2 and 3, but uh, we just want to point out one thing here in Ephesus. Uh, remember, he says, this is the first church he's speaking to. I have somewhat against you. This is the Savior speaking to the church of Ephesus. I have somewhat against you. He says, you have left your first love. And that's, I think, a message for all of us, right? Uh, you know, that phrase, first loved, is mentioned two times in the Bible, right? The first, uh, well, it, the first time it's mentioned is, we loved Him because He first loved us. And then we have the, uh, uh, just like the people in Ephesus, we have that capacity to leave our first love. Why would we want to? I don't know. But we have that capacity. There's so many things in the world to attract us and to turn us aside from our first love, the Lord Jesus. He lo we love Him because He first loved us and we want to keep that uh, devotion going. And then in... Uh, Four and five, we have the apocalypse or the re unveiling of his relation to the glorified church and the marshalling of them to come forth uh, into the uh, to judge the world. Because what's happening in verse four, uh, chapter four and five is remember there's the hereafter that was the second uh, or the third uh, uh, key third uh, phase of that key. I will show thee things that must be hereafter. So now he's caught up. And he, a door was open in heaven, and the Lord reveals Himself to him. And wonderful thing, it says there, His relation to the glorified church. What we see in Revelation 4 and 5 is we see the throne of God. But also around that throne, there's, it, it's, it's really, uh, I wish we had time to develop this, but there's a throne described to indicate the government of God. That's what a throne is, right? The, the government of God, the, a king that will, will, will rule. But it's surrounded, if you will, uh, in a couple of ways. It's surrounded uh, uh, vertically by a rainbow. Now, we only see, right, a rainbow. We see, oh, look at the lovely rainbow. Well, we see half of the rainbow. But I think if we were out on the space shuttle, right, we might see the full circle. Well, that seems to be what, it, what the indication here. It's surrounded, the throne of God is surrounded vertically by this rainbow, and then it's surrounded uh, horizontally by these thrones. What does that indicate to us? Well, you're going to say, well, who are the elders? Who are the 24 elders? Well, uh, we, we could elaborate on that a little bit, but this, just let's just leave it at this for right now, because uh, some have indicated perhaps a you know a, 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 a combination of, 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 of those that are come out of Israel and those that come out of the church, twelve and twelve, twelve disciples, twelve tribes, so forth. But anyway, we want to just elaborate that around the throne of God, He has these um, these uh, there, there's a limitation, as it were. There's two planes, two circles, two limits through which the government of God passes through, and it's it's a wonderful thing. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ to save you tonight, which I trust all of us do, it's revealed in the next chapter, verse 5, we shall reign with
with Him on the earth. So that seems to be what is indicated here that the, uh, there, there is, uh, you know, in the government of God, He allows His government to be limited, as it were, by using those that are what governing with Him, right? We shall reign with Him on the earth. Doesn't God do what He wants? Yes, but what God, uh, 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 what He, uh, uh, what He likes, doesn't God do what He likes? What He likes limits Him, as it were. He's He's allowing around His throne to have these two vertical planes where which His government passes through. A wonderful thing, right? The rainbow. That's what it was, right? When I see that rainbow, I will never again destroy the earth by water. That's exactly what he limited himself, as it were, by that rainbow. I will never destroy it by water, but he will destroy it by fire, we know from Second Peter chapter 3. And he does it now too, right? Parents with children. We have a lot of children in this little assembly. But he gives the government of the children to the parents, right? So wonderful, wonderful truth conveyed here as the unveiling of his relation to the glorified church and the marshalling of them to come forth to judge the world. We shall reign with Him on the earth. And then in chapter 6-18, through we have the apocalypse or the unveiling of the Lord Jesus' relation to the scenes of judgment as they are manifested on earth under the opening of the seals and the prophesying of the witnesses which we looked at a little this morning and later in chapter 18, the fall of Babylon. Now, uh, in starting in chapter 6, there's three series of judgments. And that's what we have related there to the scenes of judgment. Three series of judgments, all contained in a seven-seal book, right? Uh, all of these transpire in that tribulation period, right? And they seem to not only be a successive or parallel, but both, right? And uh, the seventh seal introduces the seven trumpets, and so on, and then which are the details of the sixth seal? We don't want to go into to it too, in too much detail. Aaron will will give us a little bit more in a few minutes, but I just want to point out one thing in chapter number six. It seems under this, under this sixth seal, where God is going to pour out His judgment. You know, if you read the book of the Revelation, you you you, you get very scared at what's going to come when you see. You know, I, I was thinking. In, in the end of uh, chapter 16, I think it was, you know, great hailstones coming out from heaven because of, of, of unrepentant people. And these hailstones were, were it says, of a, of a talent. That's, if I understand correctly, a hundred pounds. Can you imagine? hundred pound hail uh, 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 coming down uh, fr- from, the, from the Lord. It, it, part of His judgment on the then... On, on the world in that tribulation period. You know, what a horrible scene it will be. You know, we, they have, uh, from time to time, right, they have these hail sails in the, in the, in the automobile lots, you know. There ain't going to be no hail sails then, right, because these things are going to crush the cars, right? They're going to crush people. What an awful scene we see of God pouring out His wrath on uh, an unrepentant nation. And like Aaron said this morning, you know, still uh, men defying the living God. In fact, you see it right here, right? Chapter 6, number, verse number 16. They hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and they said to the mountains and rock, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Here they were, they wanted to hide from the Lamb. Once our Savior, the very revelation of the Lord Jesus, once our Savior was led as a Lamb, uh, to the sl- to the slaughter, but now uh, they don't want to. They want to. They want to be hidden from the face of the Lamb, right? Uh, uh, if a man will not yield to the love of God to be changed uh, by the grace of God, he will have to. He will not escape the wrath of God. So here they are trying hide us from the face of Him that falleth that sitteth upon the throne. So that's just uh, one thing. And again, Aaron will be bringing us. Uh, 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 some more of that. In fact, this might be a good time because we, we we're going on into chapter 19 and I think he's going to bring us something uh, directly on chapter number 12. Is that right? And, and maybe more. So listen in on that aspect. Yes, he mentioned there, there, there are three sets of judgments. There's the seals, the trumps, and then there are the bowls or the vials. And uh, the seals are located in chapter number 6. And then the trumps are 8 and 9. 
And then the bowls start in 15 as an introduction and then get into detail in chapter number 16. And of course, those bowl judgments are in the great tribulation. There's a distinction between the tribulation period of seven years and the great tribulation as dictated by Jeremiah. And that last three and a half year period is when God's wrath is going to be poured out on this world as far as uh, rebellious sinners are concerned. So you have those uh, those uh, chapter designations, and you notice that there's a few chapters that are missing. There's chapter 10 through 14 that tend to be missing. What chapter 10 through 14 is like a parenthesis. If you look at it that way, it might be a little bit easier to understand. Uh, th- this chapter 10 through 14 is kind of a parenthesis between the sixth uh, uh, Trump judgment and the beginning of the vile judgments, which start in chapter 15. So if you look at it that way, it might be a little bit easier to understand. But I want you to know that chapter 10 through 14 are not in chronological order. You've got to grab onto this now because you'll get totally confused if you look at these and say, well, then that means this event occurred and then this event occurred, and you can go right down numerically right through the Revelation and you can get absolutely confused. Because that's not the way it's set up. These are events that are rehearsed before God pours out His judgment on this earth. And so we talked about chapter 10 with John, the eating of the book. And and that's just something that is rehearsed there. And then the two witnesses in chapter 11. And those those are literal witnesses. They aren't to be spiritualized away. These are individuals who are going to stand in the streets and they're going to be a testimony to the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we rehearsed that this morning. Very, very little. And then we have chapter 12. Chapter 12 takes us all the way back now. It was, it, it, it was fairly chronological until you get to chapter 12 and all of a sudden you say, well, what in the world is this? Well, it's noted in the first few words the importance of this thing. It says in chapter number 12, verse number 1, and there appeared a great wonder. Now let's let, we gotta, we gotta make sure you grab onto this now. Wonder or sign. That means it's not to be taken literal. There isn't a, 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 a literal woman who's clothed with the sun and the moon. This is not literal. It's picturing is what it is. It's a sign. It's a sign type that, that gives us a message. So you've got to bear that in mind very, very closely and know that chapter 12 is going to slingshot us all the way back before man was ever created. And it's going to begin to progress us through the whole progress. And what it's doing in chapter number 12 is it's, it's unveiling to us what was being done in the unseen world. While you were seeing what you were seeing, this is what was really happening in the background. And so we have verse number 1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and a moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now right away you'd know that that's going to be something that is going to be difficult to to put into a, a real context. And the Word of God is very clear that it's not that. It's a sign. And that's exactly what it is. And she being with child cried in travail of birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And if you go to Revelation chapter 17 verse 3 and 9 you're going to know exactly who that is. Because the description is exactly the same. This is... Satan himself. This is Satan himself, and he's acting against the will of God. And what is happening here is we have a woman who is about to give birth, and under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. This woman, I believe, is it's almost... I, I don't know that I can find anyone that disagrees with it. There's no one that disagrees in the dragon. None. It's, it, it's as clear as can be because you can correlate it with other scriptures and know that it's Satan himself. This woman, I believe, is Israel. Now, 
I tell you, there's something, there's, there's something dangerous afloat. And it just dawned on me very recently, within the last maybe year or so, just how dangerous this is. It's called replacement theology. And I used to think, well, they're just mixed up. These poor folks, they're just mixed up. They think that the church is the one who's going to be taking the place of Israel. And as I study it in detail, I find its origins to be diabolical. Absolutely diabolical. Let me explain. If Satan can destroy Israel, he will have changed, averted the promises of God. And that's exactly what he's out to do. The first thing he tried to do was to find the seed and destroy the seed. Brian referenced that. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where it says, let's go back there and let's just read that so that we don't mess it up. Because this is the keystone of chapter 12. You want to know what's going on in chapter 12, you need to go back to, uh, to the Genesis, the book of beginnings, and verse... 3 uh, and, and verse number 15. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so Satan, he's no stupid person, and nor does he have an ignorance of the word of God. He knows exactly what was said. He knows exactly what God had said. That this would be the case. That he would destroy the head of Satan with that seed. So what does Satan begin to do? Well, he begins to search out the seed. If I can find the seed and destroy the seed, then I destroy it before it destroys me. And that's exactly what Satan set out to do. You have Cain and you have Abel. Now remember, I want you to understand, this is the key to the thing. Satan has access to heaven. So he knows what's going on. He hears the scuttlebutt, so to speak. He's got a keen ear and a keen mind. He knows what's going on. He caught wind that there would be one sent to Adam, named Abel. Oh, why? That could be the seed. That could be the promised one. He doesn't have a, a, an ability to look into the future. He doesn't know that all that's going to transpire. He just says, ah, it must be the seed. He places into the heart of Cain this, this evil plot to kill Abel and jealousy and rage, and he stomps out Abel. Was Abel the seed? Abel was not the seed. And you can go all the way through history. Ah, oh, he found out. The nation of Israel. There they are in, in, in Egypt for 400 long years and, 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 and being uh, imprisoned. That's exactly where Satan wanted them and he wanted to keep them there. And destroy him there in Egypt. That's what he really wanted. But he was listening in the very throne room of heaven again. And he found out, oh, there's going to be a deliverer of the nation of Israel. I don't know who he is, but I've got to find him. And into the heart of the Pharaoh, the, the, he decides, wait a second, there are too many Israelites. If they keep birthing these Israelites, we're going to be in trouble. And so he tried to put a stop to those births. And then eventually, he just began to kill all the male children. You say to yourself, well, that's just a, that's just a, it's a bad Pharaoh. Maybe he woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something. Oh, come on, people. It's diabolical. It has Satan's fingerprints all over it. And that's exactly Satan's attempt. Number two, to kill the seed. It wasn't the seed. Then you go on to Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. Oh, I could go into something on this. Oh, I tell you. But I better not. I better hold back. 
Anyway, you have Abraham, you've got Isaac, and you've got Ishmael, and, and Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're up into their hundreds. She's 90 years old. They're way past childbearing years, and Satan says, I've got my victory. I've got my victory. And then along comes Isaac. And God won again, didn't He? And then you have the Lord Jesus Christ and Herod. Oh, he says to the wise men, bring him, but I may worship too. And the Word of God makes it very clear his motives. He wanted to kill the seed. Then ultimately has all the children killed. He wanted to kill the seed. And down through history, he wants to kill the seed. He wants to kill the seed. And she brought forth uh, at verse number, uh, let's back to Revelation chapter 12. I just want to show you. Uh, it says, Attendance and the tail. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And it says, uh, what does it say here? Oh, yeah, it said verse number four. And his tail, it talks about that. And then it goes on and it says, And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And that's exactly what he sought out to do. Every turn not having an omniscient mind, not knowing all the beginning from the end, not absolutely having a kind of mind that God has. He keeps grabbing at circumstances and destroying. Grabbing at circumstances and destroying. Because He's looking for the seed. And that's exactly what's being portrayed here. His desire was as soon as that child was born. Who is that child? Well, the seed finally did come. In a little stable in Bethlehem. And his name was Jesus. But God protected his seed. And then the Lord Jesus Christ did something that you would have thought would be a grand and glorious victory for Satan. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross. Wow! Satan must have revered the day. And in weakness and defeat, he trod his foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. What a plan! Can you imagine? Man, when you, when you, I always listen to people that say, man wrote that book. They're not smart enough to write that book. That's straight from the almighty sovereign mind of God. What a plan. That by his death, there would be victory and redemption for the people of this earth. What a plan. And the woman fled, verse number 6. First of all, the child was caught up. Yes, that's right. The book of Acts, we find out that the Lord Jesus was taken up to heaven. It's exactly what it had transpired. Then verse number 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her for 3,203 score days. And there was a war in heaven. Now get this. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the... Well, if you had any doubts as to who the dragon was, here we go. That old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now I want you to notice something here. This happens at the midpoint of the tribulation. That 
seven-year period, which has not occurred yet, that is when this is going to happen. There is going to come a time when God is going to say, enough is enough. And Satan is going to be cast out and relegated to this earth. Now, I want you to notice uh, as he responds, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation, strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accuseth them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Notice that. Have you ever heard anybody say, Oh, what gospel did they preach during the, uh, the seven years tribulation? It must have been a different gospel. <laughs> No different gospel. It was blood then, it's blood now, it's the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the same gospel. And it says, Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the seal, for the devil has come down unto, uh, unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he hath but a short time. Now, I, I, this, this is hard to grab onto, but what God basically did is He threw Satan down to the earth. It says that He's the prince and pal, he's, a, he's the prince of the power of the air. He was cast down off that perch all the way to the earth. And He loses His access to heaven. No more access to heaven. And what's His response? He is the word wrath, great wrath, because he knows by this casting down that he has but only three and a half years left. And when the dragon saw that he was cast out unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child, that is Israel. And to the woman were given two wings, the great eagle, and she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for times and times and a half a time, which is very clear that that is talking about three and a half years from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, and he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the water which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of his seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Is there going to be a testimony left in Jerusalem? Will they all have taken the, the mark of the beast and given themselves over to Satan? The answer is no. Right there it tells us. There's still going to be a remnant. Those who are set aside and they will still be faithful to the commandments of God. All of this will unfold before our very eyes. But we'll be in heaven, won't we? We're gone. Don't fear this stuff. Don't fear this stuff because we're taken up. We're caught up. The same way the Lord Jesus Christ was caught up on this earth, we're going to be caught up, raptured from this earth, and given a place in heaven. But what a scene. What an absolute scene that we still we have here. And then chapter 13, as I said, depicts the, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And again, this goes back again. You can't put this in sequence. This introduction to the Antichrist would have been at the beginning of the seven years tribulation would have been his introduction. Remember, he signs a covenant with Israel and then at about the three and a half year mark at the midpoint, he breaks that covenant with Israel showing his true stripes. There's also the mention of the mark of the beast. When does that take place? Oh, I believe in the beginning again. At the very outset of his reign on this earth as supreme ruler of the earth, he's going to establish a marking system. 
As, as time goes on, about probably about the middle of the first three and a half years, he will have those who are subjected to him marked with the mark of the beast. All these things must be laid in perfect order in order to get an understanding. Chapter number 14, you have the 144,000 once again who are mentioned. And this is a heavenly scene, not an earthly scene in chapter number 14. And then chapter number 15, you have the introduction of the vile judgments. And these are where the wrath of God, Malcolm just referred to him, the wrath of God is going to be poured out in a completely undiluted fashion. And this earth is going to feel the wrath of God. Chapter number 16 gives those, those vile judgments one by one and lays them out in order. Are you ready that the Lord should come? I tell you, I'm, I'm ready. I, I really feel that it could be tomorrow when the Lord takes His church home. The next thing, I think, is the revealing of the Antichrist. But before that, we are gone, I believe. Although we may even see that, I don't know. But are you ready? The Lord is going to call His church, His bride, home to be with Himself. Yes, and we'll just bring it to a close here. Chapter number 19, the uh, 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 unveiling of His actual manifestation. Uh, this is what uh, the book started out as, right? Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, He comes with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. Here it is, Revelation chapter 19. John says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So what we have here is the revelation, the actual manifestation to the world in the battle of the great day of God Almighty, the establishment of His kingdom, accompanied by the saints who's with Him. The armies which were in heaven followed Him upon the white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, later identified as the saints. And out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it He should smite the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And that that's chapter 19. And then chapter 20 through 22, we have the last section, or in this uh, particular outline, the finally the unveiling or the apocalypse of his relation to the final act of judgment. Uh, some years ago, I remember hearing a song from one of the Christian um, uh, country uh, groups, I read the back of the book and we win, was the name of it. And it's really a, a wonderful thought to know that the Lord Jesus will indeed uh, uh, come through. And that's what the one of the things that the Revelation is about, unveiling uh, what He will yet do, the final act of judgment, the destruction of death in the grave, and the introduction of the final estate of a perfected redemption. You know, he gives a preview. I saw the dead, small and great, chapter number uh, 20, stand before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. It's a very serious scene there. All of the wicked dead, all who did, died without receiving uh, God's salvation, receiving the perfect Savior, were judged by their works. Uh, heaven is by grace alone, but hell is by works alone. There are people that are out there. In fact, we talked with some this morning. It was great to see those that were, uh, you know, raised in the uh, a particular system that uh, accentuates works. Right? They, you, you know, you 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 work so hard, and 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 somehow God's going to take notice of you. Right? What are works going to do? Right? They were judged according to their works, right? God is going to... Uh, uh, there, there's, there, yes, there's degrees of punishment. Few stripes, many stripes, and so forth to those that have rejected God's salvation. Okay, and then heaven and earth will pass away in, in verse chapter 21. Well, there's so much more that we could go into. Let's go to the, the next... Uh, or does this work yet? No. Can we, can we go to the next? If we can't, we'll just... Close it right there. But uh, we had m many more slides, but I see our time is gone and our uh, 
Our super tech is not getting able to advance this. The supreme object of revelation is the Lord Jesus Christ. God is more concerned with the honor and glory of His Son than the fate of empires. Sometimes people, uh, you know, will, will refer to the book of the Revelation and, and 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 get caught up in sensationalism, you know. But God is more concerned with the honor and glory of His Son, and you can see that brought out because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then we'll just close right there. There was another. Well, that's a whole another slide in itself. Uh, just just bring it all up, and we'll we'll close with that. Uh, that there are many. Uh, trains that come in that are begun lines of truth that are are brought up in the scripture, but they finally come to their conclusion in the book of the revelation and the last slide go ahead and bring that up yeah there 's many more. Remember we closed this morning with the promise in revelation one three you can bring up the rest of it. Uh, the time is near, and Aaron said the Lord could come tomorrow, he could come today, right uh, that the end of all things is at hand, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer uh, I am ready are you ready if the Lord should come it's our privilege as believers in the Lord Jesus to we're, we're, we're made ready in the sense of uh, our, our um, uh, as it were our ticket to heaven the Lord Jesus and his finished work but we have the privilege as we read uh, I think uh, at some point today about uh, in first John Oh, we did. We had it tonight. That's what it was. Three, two, three, three. Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself. We want to be ready in that sense because the fine linen, the righteousness of the saints. And so that closes our little overview of the book of the Revelation. We trust it'll be profitable to us, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Right? Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is near the time is coming when i'm going you're going as a child of god to give an account to the savior no more mama no more papa no more elders no more uh, anybody just me giving account to my savior and we know what he's doing now walking amidst the lampstands and he's and we have the privilege of walking with him on a daily basis the time is near Let's just close our meeting in a word of prayer. Maybe Brother Brian uh, McCluskey would do that for us at this time.